So as we begin our reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Years ago I read a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a man named Stephen Covey. Uh, his expertise was organizational skills. He put together a planner for helping people to try to manage their lives better. And I thought it was very interesting. In his planner, you start by organizing yourself by who you are. If you have an occupation, you'd put that down as just one of the things that you do, one of your areas. But then he'd also put down things like, well, I'm a, I'm a husband or, or I'm a wife or, or I'm a, a father or I'm a mother. Before it starts mapping out the week, it maps out you. What kind of areas of responsibility do you have? Not just in the business realm, but in the family realm, in the church realm, in, in every different realm. And then you make a set section for all of those. And then you say, okay, this week, this week, what do I need to get done in each area of those responsibilities so that nothing falls through the cracks? Well, the reason that I mentioned that this morning is because as we come to the end of the book of First Thessalonians, he just starts listing responsibilities. In fact, one commentator called it staccato, just kind of a this and this and this and this and this, but it just kind of rapid fire all these responsibilities that we have. But as you look down through those responsibilities, you do find that they kind of land in, in categories. Basically, what God is telling us at the end of, of First Thessalonians is that uh, we're part of His family. And what are our family responsibilities within God's family, which is the church? In fact, the reason that I say that is because he uses family terms. And he starts off this verse and he says, We ask you, brothers. Use the word brothers. Not uncommon for the Apostle Paul. In his letters to different churches and people, would use the word brothers to describe his relationship to them over 60 times. In fact, in First and Second Thessalonians alone, just those two letters, he uses the word brothers to refer to them 27 times. And that seems well-fitting in a faith where Jesus referred to God as our Father. And you see, we are the family of God as we gather together in church. And so at the end of this letter, he's just reminding us of what our responsibilities are within the family of God. It's not exhaustive, but he does list several. Well, as we look down through these responsibilities, we find that the responsibilities that he mentions in this passage deal with three different areas of responsibility. The first area of responsibility is responsibility to leaders. And the way that he addresses that responsibility is with the word respect. In fact, he uses two different words. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly. Now, as we look down through the passage, there are about four different reasons why we need to do that. The first reason is that we need to respect them for their effort. Notice in verses 12 and 13, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. I find it interesting 
But he's obviously talking about leadership because he talks about those who are over you in the Lord. And so there's a a level of authority there. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he doesn't just come out and say, respect your leaders. He he actually describes them more than he labels them. He, He describes them as what? Those who labor. Those who work at this. One of the things that we need to see within the leadership is effort. We need to see diligence. We need to see hard work. We need to see a willingness to kind of roll up the sleeves and get to work. And that's what he lists. He says, these are people that labor among you. He also goes on down a little bit farther when he talks about their work. He says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I think the word work there probably insinuates a little bit more than that too, but we'll get to that in a few minutes also. You know, it's not like when you're, when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you look at leadership as being, well, you get to kind of be the kind of one that sits back and tells everybody else what to do. As you get a little bit older, you realize that's not quite the way it works. Whether it's the leadership of a, a teacher in a class or a, or a foreman on a job site or an owner of a business or uh, no matter what level of leadership, it's actually a lot of work is what it is. And it could usually be defined probably better through its responsibilities than through its privileges. And the church is no different. The church needs to be full of leaders that are working, people that are serving, the people that are willing to put forth the, the effort and to do what needs to be done to reach out and to build up other people's lives. But notice, not only is effort to be a part of their makeup, but also for their engagement. Engagement, in other words, they're engaging in your life. They're involved in your life. Because as he writes them, he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor. Notice how he describes it, among you. They're among them. I remember when I was in Bible college and I took a class in pastoring. It wasn't actually this passage. It was another one that was addressed to pastors, to elders, And it talked about them laboring among the people. And our professor stopped on that point for quite a while. And he said, look, look, man, as you go off into the ministry, you're not somebody that's up above the people. You're among the people. You can't serve the people above the people. You've got to serve the people among the people. You've got to build in and get to know them. You've got to to build into their lives and and be a part of them. Effective leadership needs to be among the people. You cannot serve people that you don't have a relationship with. You cannot serve people that you're not getting to know on a regular and consistent basis. You can't do it from afar. One of the things that appealed to me about small town ministry is uh, the opportunity to get, to get to know so many more people. Now that sounds weird because you're going to a smaller population. But you know what? I've lived in areas of larger populations like Seattle and there's uh, millions of people and you don't know any of them. But in a small community, I wouldn't say you know everybody, but you know a much higher percentage of them than you do living in Seattle. You know of even more than that. I remember one of the quotes that I read about that time as I was thinking through these kind of things. It says, you know what, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact them up close. And I thought, I don't want to impress anybody. I just want to impact people for the gospel. And so that's one of the things I loved about small town ministry. When you look back at the church and their leadership structures and stuff, take the deacons, for example. Before the church had deacons, it was very early in the church, in the Jerusalem church, and they had a problem. The problem was how to take care of their widows. They turn to the church and they say to the church, you pick out from among you seven men that are, and then it gives this description of these men, people of strong character, solid biblical character. And it says, you choose out from among you these men that will take care of this. You know what's kind of cool about it? These guys knew those guys well enough to know who qualified and who didn't. In other words, these were other people that were among them, that were part of their lives. As he's writing at this point in the book of First Thessalonians, he's writing to the church congregation. He's referring to their leadership. He says these people are people who put forth effort. They work, they labor, and they do it 
uh, among you. They, in other words, they are engaged in your lives. They are uh, concerned for your spirituality and for your growth. And so he says you ought to respect them, value them highly because of that reason. Well, not only that, but for their enforcement. He says that they are over you in the Lord and admonish you. There is a level of authority that comes with uh, the position. As a pastor, it also is a servant position. But it comes with a level of authority because you're, you're there to lead. You're there to guide. You're there, you're there to instruct. And so you're going to be involved in making decisions in the direction of the church. You're also going to be there within individuals' lives saying, you know what, you're headed a bad direction sometimes at this point. In fact, that's the word it uses here. Admonish. The word admonish means that sometimes they're going to come along and they're going to correct you. They're going to say, look, you're not, you're not going the right direction here. You're, you're, you're headed down a bad path. And you need to think about turning around. And so sometimes they're going to be there just to speak positive things into your life. Sometimes they're going to be there to speak correction into your life. But he says, you know what? We really ought to be thankful for that. I think back to the pastors that I have had over me, and I'm so thankful for all these things. I'm thankful when I was struggling with giving. I had a pastor that told me, he says, you know what? You're afraid to trust God. And I was like, where is that coming from? What do you mean I'm afraid to trust God? I'm trying to build my whole life around trusting God. What do you mean I'm afraid to trust God? And he went through, picked apart the story that I just told him. And he says, you're afraid to trust God. You keep giving him a loophole. You know, he was right. And that was a huge step forward for me in my faith. It was a tough thing to hear for a moment, but it was what I needed to hear at that time. There's still some pastors in my life that I'll call and talk to from time to time and bounce things off of and get answers from. I'm thankful for them. But he says, these are people that are over you, so there's some structure to it. And you know what? It's just like everything else. Anything in the whole world has this kind of structure. Families have structure. The father is head of the home and the wife cooperating right along with him and the children underneath them. Every business has things from CEOs or owners or partners or whatever right on down to managers. Every school has superintendents, principals, teachers. Everything that's going to accomplish anything has structure to it and the church is no different. And God is the one that designed it that way. You know, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You know, when a leader comes and pulls you aside and says, I think you're heading the wrong direction, it's not that fun for them either. They're doing it because they love you and genuinely care for your life. Otherwise, they could go about their business and not have the headache of dealing with your situation and not risk losing a friend or offending someone or putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. And that's why he holds them up before us and tells us to respect them. But you know what? It's a different kind of leadership than what the world pushes. The apostles kept asking Jesus, and one of us sit on your right, one of us on the left. They were kind of looking for the privilege of leadership. Jesus constantly pointed them back to servant type of leadership, the responsibilities of leadership rather than the privileges of leadership. He pointed out that the leaders would be very different in the church than they would be with in the world. Leaders in the church aren't for exercising dominion over people. They're for serving them according to their needs and according to the will of God. And that's why earlier in Hebrews chapter 13, even as it commands us to be submissive to our leaders, earlier it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A lot of leadership within the church takes place by way of just setting examples, of providing a model, an example to follow. The Apostle Paul, as an apostle, did the same thing as he writes to different churches uh, that he started and visited. He constantly pointed to his own example and he says, look, follow me in this. 
I set you an example of, thing, of, of how you do this. In fact, when it comes to hard work, he says, look, the reason that I, I didn't allow you guys to provide for me while I was there, but I provided for myself, was to set you an example of how you ought to be hard workers. And so he did things purposely just to make himself an example for them. In First Peter chapter 5, he's writing to the elders. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. It's kind of a neat passage because there are several words used to describe the office of pastor in the Bible and he uses most of them right here in this, in this passage. One of them is the word elder. The other one is the word shepherd, the Greek word poimen. And then the other one, who shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. That's the one often translated like bishop in the King James Version of 1 Timothy 3. And They oversee, they lead, they're, they're the elders of the church. But notice what he tells them. Exercise oversight. So it is a leadership position. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, they're supposed to do it because their heart's in it, not because they have to. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then this last part's what I really want to focus on. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Leadership positions within the church, they are positions of authority. We are supposed to submit to the godly men that God puts in place within our churches and within our lives. But it's mainly done through setting an example and then basically studying the Word of God, doing it. I love Ezra. Ezra talks about he set his heart to study the Word of God and then to do it and then to teach others also. Boy, what a great format. I thought about having that engraved in a plaque and put right here in front of me years ago because, you know what, that's what leadership's supposed to do. Study the Word of God so you can do what? Put it in your own life. Do it and then encourage, teach others to do the same thing. And that's what he says here. He says we need to recognize that leadership is going to enforce the Word of God. They're going to hold you to the standard of truth that the Bible teaches. They're going to live it out themselves and lead other people to do the same. And so we need to respect our leadership for the effort, the hard work that they put in for the engagement, their involvement in our lives, and for the enforcement of the principles that we find within Scripture. And then lastly, for the effect. In verses 12 and 13, the last part of that, it says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, we've already talked about work indicating effort, but I think work indicates even more than that in this place. There's a very important task involved here. There's a very important function that's taking place that we have ministry in place to provide that function. He says, esteem them very highly. Why? Because of the work. I think it's not just talking about effort, but it's also talking about the importance of the function at hand. It's kind of like when we deal with politics. At politics, there's often a temptation to trash somebody that doesn't agree with you in politics. But we also talk about the importance of respecting positions, not only persons. When you're discussing the President of the United States, I don't care who he is. He is the President of the United States. The Apostle Paul would write to the people and say, look, you need to honor the king at a time when Nero was the king. If anybody didn't really deserve honor, Nero's High on the list. Top shelf here. But you need to honor the position. Why? Because the position is a position that God has established for a very important purpose. And I think that's what he's saying. He's saying that within leadership, we need to be careful how we address leadership. Even in times when we don't agree. Even in times when maybe they're wrong. You know, I've had pastors in my life before that I think made some wrong decisions at some certain points. And sometimes I talk to them about those decisions and I express my disagreement. But I did not disrespect them. Even today, looking back at them, 
I still respect their input into my life. I'm thankful that God had them in my life at that time. They were a huge blessing to me. And I honor them for that. And I honor the position and the hard work that they put into it. And they were good and godly men. You know, when we look at the task, what is involved? What is, what is in the work of the leadership of the church? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11-16 through 16 says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So notice it's specifically dealing with the leadership of the church here. And He says, what is the purpose of the leadership? Though you do ministry, it's not just to do ministry. Specifically, the goal or the job of leadership is to equip you to do ministry. Pastors are to try to provide everything you need, the encouragement, the teaching, the stimulus, everything you need to engage you in ministry. You see, every member is a minister in the New Testament church. We're all called to serve one another and to reach out to one another and, and minister to one another. And But when he deals with leadership, he says the purpose in the leadership is to equip Equip the saints. The saints is every believer in Christ. It's to equip the saints so that they can carry out the work of ministry. And when that happens, it says for building up the body of Christ, we all get built up together until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the purpose of leadership? To try to equip everybody else so that everybody can do their part in ministry and we function as a whole body. The whole point of our church is we're a body. We're not a person. We're a body. We're the body of Christ. And all of us have different giftedness, different experiences, different likes and dislikes, but we're all part of that body. And it's important that all of us develop together. He says when everybody gets what they need so that they all grow to this maturity in their faith, and they're not tossed around by every new idea, every new doctrine that comes down the path, but they grow solid in their relationship with Christ. The whole body, when it's all functioning properly, is an amazing thing. You know, when I was in high school, I had a friend, and uh, he, got, he got into weightlifting. And he was committed to it. He'd lift for two, three hours a day. But you know what? He'd only focus on one part of his body mainly. For probably two, three years, he focused on just his chest and these things here, what are they, lats or whatever they're called. And he got big, wide like that. But people would say, wow, man, you're just so, your chest and around your body so defined, but your arms just look like anybody else's are normal. And so finally he decided, well, I need to make my arms look bigger. So he stopped focusing on his chest about the time I moved away, and he started focusing on his forearms. He thought those would show more. Well, I moved away about that time, but a little while, a little while later, Lisa and I were married, we we're headed to my folks' house and drove by his house, and he was out in the yard, we stopped and visited with him for a little bit. Guy looked like Popeye. His arms. <laughs> But everything else is kind of normal. That's not how you do it, right? Trainers will tell you, you work on different parts of your body, different days, you work on everything. You bring it all up. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what, sometimes, sometimes a church is going to look like Popeye. Why? Because that's the only part of the body that's functioning. The whole point of me being up here is not for me. right? And it's not for whatever I can accomplish right now. But the things that I'm accomplishing right now in teaching and engaging you is knowledge, motivation, empowerment, to where you can do what God wants you to do. And when all of us begin doing what God wants us to do, we're unstoppable. Because when the body of Christ is functioning like the body of Christ should function, amazing things happen. And ministry really 
really takes place. It's a pretty awesome experience. Well, the first level of respect is to respect our leadership. The next level that he goes to is our responsibility toward one another. In verses 14 and 15, he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so the very next thing that he points out is their responsibility toward one another. He does it in four different ways. The first thing that we provide for one another is accountability. He tells us that we are to admonish the idle. Now, admonish is the same word that was used of the leadership. The leadership, part of their task is to admonish people that are headed the wrong direction. But you know what? It's not the only person that's supposed to admonish people that headed the wrong direction. Every believer is called to this. How can we count ourselves friends to somebody who we're willing to just let head the wrong direction and wander off into their sin? If we have somebody within our congregation or within our, within our friendship that is heading a bad direction, it's your obligation, your responsibility to warn them of that. Your responsibility to try to pull them out of that. Otherwise, how friendly is it to just let them go on into whatever damage they're going to they're gonna face? Proverbs tells us faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'll tell you, sometimes when, in being in leadership position within the church, sometimes when I need to step up and, and go come alongside somebody and say, you know what, you're, you're heading a bad direction. Let me warn you of that. You know what the biggest tool that will make that successful is? It is other people from the congregation doing the same thing. In fact, sometimes I will think of this person within the congregation I know is close to this person and this person. And I may go to them and say, you know what, you know they're headed the wrong direction. You need to step up and be a friend here too. And you know what? It's not even one of those things. Sometimes they'll tell me, well, I'll pray about it. Well, if you want to pray that you'll be obedient in this, okay, but, or how to do it. But the fact of the matter is God's commanded us to do this. So we need, we need to do this. Because you know what? A lot of times, church discipline is pretty amazing. It, it often just works. A lot of times when I just go to somebody and say, you know what? You're heading a bad direction. They say, I know what? I've been struggling with guilt over this for a while. Sometimes they say, well, yeah, I, I see your point. You're right, but I don't know. Twenty minutes later, they're, they're, they're saying, yep, you're right. I'm, headed around, I'm turning it around. Sometimes, unfortunately, they don't. Sometimes they turn and head a different direction. Sometimes they look at you and say, well, yeah, of course you're going to do that way. You're the pastor. And it's at that point that sometimes somebody else that's not the pastor comes along. That's what really gets their attention. And so that's exactly what he does. He tells the leadership of the church, refers to them as those who admonish us. That's part of their job. But it's part of all of our responsibility to one another, to hold one another accountable in our behaviors, in our attitudes. Not only do we need to provide accountability, but encouragement. Encourage the faint-hearted. You know, not everybody's wired just the same. Even among the apostles, you realize that? You look at the twelve apostles. you got John who could lean against Christ at the Last Supper. you got Peter who always stuck in his foot right square in his mouth, it seems like. In other words, you've got some, some people that are just bold and quick and out there and make decisions quickly. And other people that are like, eh, I don't know. Neither of them is wrong. They're just different temperaments or different personalities. Some people are going to need a little more encouraging, a little more boost. You know, for some of you, I can compliment you on something and, yeah, thanks, whatever. You're confident enough in yourself that it's not that big of a boost to you. Others need that. Others, your encouragement, your compliment might be just the thing that gave them the strength that they needed to get through this day. Others are, are more timid and they need that. And we need to be that for one another. Also, he says help. He says help the weak. Christianity is a process. There's an instantaneous point where you're born again and there's, then there's a process of growth. Different people are at different places in their growth. 
Some people have gotten to the point where they're very strong in their faith and some people are a little weaker. Some people are having other struggles. And you know what we're supposed to do? Galatians tells us we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. The, 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 strong, the strong are supposed to help carry the load of the weak. And you know what? One day they'll be the strong and they'll be helping carrying the load of the weak after them. And then uh, lastly, patience applies to all of them. Okay, the Bible tells us that we hold one another accountable. I think it was a book I was reading one time. It was talking about the process. And it says, you know, in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about go to that person, confront them personally, then bring another person with and try to gain them with there. You're gaining strength. And then lastly, bring them before the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then let them be like a publican. But the author pointed this out. You know, it doesn't say go to them by yourself only once. Maybe go to them several times. Maybe when you're totally convinced that they're, they're just not listening. That's the time maybe that you bring in somebody else. But he just focused on this part, this need for patience. Be patient with them all. Our last responsibility is before God. I don't think we're going to go there. We're, we're kind of running low on time, and I knew we would be by the time we got to this point. So I wanted to include it in the, in the outline. When you read the rest of the passage, it unfolds our responsibilities before God, of being joyful and being uh, thankful and being prayerful and those kind of things. And we'll take and focus on those things uh, next week, but I did want to recognize that it's part of the same package of responsibility. So as we live out this life as a family of God and live out these responsibilities, we have a responsibility in these areas: responsibility to our leadership uh, because of their because of their effort, because of their engagement in our lives, their enforcement of things that are tough to enforce, and because of the effect that it has within our lives and within the church. We need to be there to hold one another accountable to each other, to be there for encouragement and help, and always with patience. You know. The Sunday that was going to be my first Sunday here, I have a very close friend. He's more like a brother. The same Sunday I started here, Mark started in Yoda, Minnesota, as a pastor there. And we had kind of served in the youth group. He was the youth pastor. We helped. You know, we got to experience a lot of things similar. We went and started our pastoring our churches the same day. Sometimes we'd get our youth groups together and do a mission trip. Sometimes we'd go help with their vacation Bible school. They'd come help with our vacation Bible school. We experienced some growth in some ways, and we decided that we needed to add on this fellowship hall out here, and we went through that addition. Right about in the same time, somewhere in there, I don't remember if it was before or after, but similar timing, they experienced some growth, decided to add on to their church down there, and they put a large, about double the size of their church building down there, and things were going well. And, you know, today, thankful to God, our church is doing well and growing and kind of bursting at the seams. And the church in Yoda is very close to being out of existence. Why is that? It's not the pastors. Absolutely not. Mark is a great preacher. Mark is the kind of guy that when I get around him, makes me feel like being a better pastor. I end up heading for home thinking I'm going to be a better pastor. Mark has reached out in the community. He's great at dealing with who he calls senior saints. He's very committed and awesome with them. He and Gretchen build a children's ministry and, and he bought a bus and drove the bus himself and and would get kids from two other neighboring towns to bring them back to their children's ministries he's better at administration kind of things than i am he's a very organized individual and has all of his time to commit to that ministry it's not the pastors you know what it is it's you you know what our experience here has been we always feel loved and appreciated and i know where my weaknesses are very well you don't point those out you could at times, I might even thank you for it. But you know what we get? We get patted on the back. We get, we get notes. But people give us a note or a card just expressing appreciation from time to time and stuff like that. We have felt very spoiled in this church. I keep talking like past tense. We're not going anywhere. It's not leading to that. <laughs> but you know what happened in Yoda? He ended up with a guy that was actually part of the leadership. He was one of the 
deacons and a song leader and a Sunday school teacher. And he decided that it was ridiculous that they're always going through book studies and morning worship, preaching through books, just like we do here. See, we don't, there's been many times where I'll talk to Mark on the phone and I'll say, what are you preaching through right now? Matthew. Oh, really? I just started it. How long have you been doing it? <laughs> it's just amazing how many times we even end up working through the same book without planning it. A couple of deacons started kind of talking with one another and kind of getting disgruntled about Mark. You know, there's no difference in theology, no moral crises, Nothing that you could point a finger at biblically that say, well, this needs to, there's a change that needs to happen here. They didn't like it that he didn't rub shoulders with the right people in the community that they thought, thought would give their church a better look, even though he was reaching out in the community big time through the areas that I already mentioned. And they began to kind of sow discord and just complaints, little back, back meetings, and, and it's destroyed that church. Why? Because you get a negative snowball like that going, and finally it comes to a point where even people that are with you Say, you know what, I need a more positive environment for my family. You lose those along the way too. And the gospel testimony in that town has been very diminished. Why? Because of this little passage here. One group, you, bends over backwards to respect your leadership. And another group tried to destroy it and took down the whole church. See, these things are important. We're all that body of Christ. Every relationship in here is an important relationship.